Why did he choose to, to do that? Because if you're going to have unity in a church, you're going to need some encouragement and you're going to need some endurance that comes from God. People are going to rub you the wrong way. Things are not always going to go your way. That's just life in general, and it's life in church too. Listen, if you've never been disappointed with something or with someone at church, it probably means you either haven't been there long enough or you haven't been involved enough because no church is perfect, and no church is a, cl- a bunch of clones of you or of me or of it would be a really boring place if it was, right? We're all human. We grow weary in the race, and we grow weary with one another, and we can grow weary with our church. We can grow discouraged with what's happening or what's not happening or what someone did or what someone didn't do, and it's very easy for us to get out of harmony, and it's like a, like a choir that gets off key. We need God to infuse us with encouragement and endurance, and you know, some Christians stay just long enough at a church to get frustrated and leave. They make it a year or maybe a few years, but then they burn out. They go somewhere else, and then something at that place rubs them the wrong way, and they move on from that place, or they, they lay out a church for a year, and then they, they try to get back involved. And Every believer, listen, needs to be deeply connected to the local church and connected enough that you can get rubbed the wrong way and not go anywhere. Because what binds you is deeper than what's rubbing you the wrong way. You need to care enough to stick around through some things, preference changes, so that you know it's the mission that are keeping you there, not your comfort, not your preferences. We need deep roots that can withstand other trivial matters. Paul didn't just preach togetherness, though. He lived it. Look over it. Look at verses 30 through 32 in chapter 15. Listen to what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together, there's that word again, with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. You hear that family tone again? I appeal to you, brothers. Strive together, he says. For what? Praying for me. Right? Paul knew he needed their prayers. He knew he was in this with them, and he needed their prayers for him. He knew he, he, knew he could be refreshed. I love that. He says, I need to be refreshed in your company. We need each other. Listen, if we're not refreshing one another, we're doing it wrong. We're not supposed to exhaust one another. We're supposed to refresh one another. Paul said, I can't, I can't wait to get the wrong so that you can refresh me. Because he says, look, I need you to pray for me that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Man, you go out in the world, you get beat up. When you come to the church, you're supposed to get built up. Not beat up again. Imagine this. You're out in the world all week doing your job, whatever that may be. And you're around people that some of them love Jesus, some of them don't. And you're part of, you, you hear the, the gossip, slander, and, and stuff that happens in an office sometimes, and the, the, the business politics that happens, and, and it just kind of wears you out, and you're just so sick of it, and you come home, and you turn on the TV, you'll see what's going on in the world in the news, and you're like, oh my goodness, and it's the same thing going on there when you turn on the news, and, and then you show up at church, and you go get your cup of coffee, and you hear, well, did you hear? Did you see? Well, let me tell you what I, and you start hearing gossip and politics and power play, and you know what you think? It's just exhausting, right? It's supposed to be refreshing. This is a place to be refreshed, where the load is to be lightened, not added to. 
So we need to commit because we're in this together. We're one family. We need to be handing out water and Gatorade to the weary traveler, not seeing if we can get some ankle weights on them. If you turn your Bible to chapter 16, it's mostly a list of people Paul commends and wants to say hi to. Just a list of names, 75% of that chapter. And he's asking them to accept and honor his friends, and he's asking them to greet people that he calls the beloved of God. And Paul just understood we need each other. He understood the idea of honoring people and thanking people and just this idea of relationship and acting like family. And you'll, look, you'll see just, if you just kind of scan that list, you'll see men on that list, women on that list, couples on that list. You see a husband and wife team in verse 3 of chapter 16. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila. He says, they risk their necks for my life. No church goes very far without couples who say we're going to pour our lives out through the local church. We're going to risk some stuff. God, give us more Priscas and Aquilas. I'm telling you, I mean, and you see them. Paul mentions them multiple times in his writing because of the impact they had on his life. You see a lot of men on the list. Paul refers to them many times as the approved by Christ, chosen in the Lord. He's encouraging them and he's commending them because he knew men in the church didn't just need to be beat, beat up, right? They need to be built up. They need to be encouraged, right? Not kicked around. It, it, the church needs godly men, and we need to encourage godly men to approved of Christ, chosen in the Lord, used by God. Women, you see tons of women in this. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1, Phoebe, the servant, that he commends to him how, how helpful she had been. Verse 6, Prisca, that we already mentioned. You see Mary, who worked hard. Verse 13, he greets Rufus. But he says, but also his mom... And Paul said, she was a mother to me too. See, the church doesn't just need brothers and dads. It needs sisters and moms. Imagine the impact someone had that on, on the Apostle Paul that he said, she was like a mom to me. Tell her, tell her I said hi. Tell her I love her. See, the church is a family. And we're in this together. And it's paramount that we work together in unity with godly men, godly women, godly couples, singles and couples that will risk, serve, and work. And we need to commend, encourage, and honor. And we need to do more than pay lip service to the idea of fellowship and honor and being brother and sister. We're in this together. You're not in it together with the world. You're in it together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 14. Romans 15, 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Number two, we are in this for the truth. Paul says, you're able to instruct one another. They were mature enough that they didn't need an apostle standing over them all the time. Was his point. And we need to be committed to the truth of the word of God, and we need to know it and understand it so that we can instruct one another in it. Some of you think, well, I can't do that. I don't know enough. And you'd be surprised what sharing what you've learned and applied, whatever amount that is from God's word, can do to build up and encourage another person. But if we don't feel ready, that's not an excuse. We need to keep growing and keep maturing so that we have, because we have this responsibility to one another, right? To one another. Paul, in fact, warns, warns the Roman church about division that could come and could, could divide the church, and it would happen around forsaking the truth. Look at chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, there's that family tone again, what, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. 
Here's the key. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. It's about truth. He says this, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be as wise, be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Love that verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, the division he warns about when people, or when people will come when people do things contrary to the doctrine, to the truth that they have been taught. And Paul wasn't worried about them fighting over carpet colors. He was worried about them being divided about false teachers, bigger fish to fry. There, there are some people that need to be avoided, he said. He said, avoid them. There are people that serve their own appetite, who can talk smooth, who can flatter, that can deceive, but they aren't serving Christ. See, sometimes you find them on TV in our culture. Not all of them, but some of them. Promising you a blessing if you'll just send them some money. Send me some money, maybe God will give you a blessing, right? Beware of people like that. Not everybody that totes a Bible, dresses nice, and has a big ministry in his own TV is of God. Some of them are false teachers. Be discerning. Weigh it against God's word. And how can we have obedience that is known to all, as the Romans did? How can we be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil, as he commands them to be, unless we know what is good and evil, unless we know what to obey? See, we can't be distracted from learning and knowing and walking in truth. We're not just unified for the sake of unity. We have to be unified around truth, around the truth of God's God's word. The the family of faith is united around the truth of God's word. The gospel and the, the lordship of Jesus Christ and the inerrancy of the, the word of God and the, 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 the fact that this book is our standard and that's where our values come from. That's where our mission comes from. That's where our vision comes from and our purpose comes from. Not from the cultural moment, but from the word of God. We are people of the book and that has to be our focus. We, we are in this for the sake of the truth. If you've got a church, it's just you, you don't have a church. You might have a neighborhood watch, right? You might have a, a community group, but you don't have, if there's not truth to be united and stood on and fought for and defended and proclaimed, that's not church. That's not the kind of family that God has formed us to be. We are united. We are in this together, but we are, we are in this for the truth. Number three, we are in this to reach the world with the gospel. Look with me in Romans 15. I'm gonna read verses 15 through 21. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elicrum, uh, I can say that, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 20. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason 
why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. In this section, Paul gets into his purpose as a minister of Christ Jesus to, to the Gentiles, he says, in the priestly service of God, um, in the pre- service of the gospel, he says. Paul, Paul knew that he was called specifically to, to be the, the apostle that was going to proclaim and get the gospel to the Gentiles so that many Gentiles would come to faith in Christ. And Paul was explaining to them in this section why he had not gotten to them yet. In Rome. Somebody else had already gotten there. The gospel had already gotten there. People were coming to know the Lord. The church was doing fine. And and he says, I'm focused on taking the gospel to new places. Paul wanted the gospel to spread. He loved to preach it and to share it. it. And he said, I want you to help me do this. He invites them. We'll see here more about that in just a minute. He invites them to help. And here we are, a couple thousand years later, and the gospel continues to go to new places. And Paul was called, right, to, to the Gentiles, and as, gen, gen, as a Gentile, I thank God for that. You know, thank you, Paul, for your ministry. Now we are called to take the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, every single one of us. And Paul really wanted to focus his ministry on these new places because he was, he, as an apostle, he was a pioneer. And here we are still needing to get the gospel to new places a couple thousand years later. This is why I love our network in the SBC. It's not about the politics, because that honestly gets old. It's, it's the mission. Every week when you give to help support the ministry of North Park, you help support the cooperative program, which is our, our network's mission fund. And, and so a portion of what you give does things like train pastors through seminaries. It, do, it does things like plant churches. It does things in Florida, and it does things around the world. It does things like help with disaster relief. It does all this different stuff because I believe we're a part of the greatest church network in the world in terms of advancing the gospel and making disciples. It's not perfect. What would be? But, man, it's amazing. It's powerful. And it's why we went to Cuba this summer. We had several of us go and, and, and went and shared the gospel and saw nearly 20 people pray to receive Christ and help build a church there. People are making disciples there in, in Cuba. It's, it's because that's the, the mission. That's, that's the point is to, to get the gospel to people here and to get the gospel out of here and out of this room and to get us outside of the, the bubbles that we live in and get us into the lives of other people and to get the gospel going forward. That's the whole point. Notice Paul quotes from Isaiah, and he says, Those who have never been told will see, and those who have never heard will understand. See, the mission of the gospel, God's mission of getting the gospel to the world and seeing people come to know Christ is literally unstoppable. Unstoppable. A pastor friend pointed out to me how this text shows when when we join in Christ's mission, we're joining something that can't fail. Don't know if I'd have saw that on my own just reading that. Just those little words. It, you, they will see. They, they will understand. J- Jesus is going to save people. Not everybody's going to come to faith in Christ, but a lot of people are. 
all over the world. And there will be people one day gathered around in the throne room of God from every tribe and every nation and every tongue because the Bible tells us that. We already know how the story ends, right? Revelation explains to us that it gives us that picture of people from all over the world who have confessed faith in Christ, gathered around his throne and worshiping him. Listen, when you, when you participate in the mission of the church, when you share the gospel, when you give towards missions, when you give towards making disciples here and around the world, you participate and invest in something that literally cannot fail. Think about that. Remember 2008? We learned that our stock market can fail us, right? A lot of people lost tons from their retirement. Things that, I mean, you, you put money in retirement and your thought process is, I've invested that very safely. It's going to be, it's going to grow by exactly 12% over, you know, and all this kind of, and all this kind of, and then you found out in 2008, that's not exactly a sure thing because there are no sure things in this world, right? I can tell you one thing that's a sure thing. I can tell you one investment that's a sure investment, and that is the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Jesus is going to save his people. People are going to gather around the throne from every tribe. and So when you invest in sharing and advancing the gospel, you put your time, your talent, and your treasure in something that cannot and will not fail. That's incredible. That's an incredible thing. And it's not just true for global mission. It's local mission, too. It's the nations and the neighbors. You think God's saving people in Orlando? I think so. I mean, probably today. This week. See, the question is not, is God going to do his thing? The question is always, are we going to join, join in and participate? Am I going to share my faith? That's the question. Not, is God going to save people? Am I going to participate, right? Am I going to join in the fun? Because it is fun seeing people come to know and grow in the Lord. Notice verse 24. Paul is telling them, I'm coming, but I plan on it being a very short trip. Why, why short? We want, we want Apostle Paul here. Why, why is it going to be short? Because i got to get to Spain because it hasn't been evangelized yet. So the reason I'm coming, I'm going to come hang out for a while. And he didn't tell him this at the beginning of the letter, but now that he's wrote this long letter to him, he says at the end of it, and I'm hoping that you will help me get the gospel to Spain. What's he talking about? Financial support and prayer support, yeah. But he's hoping that he gets there and then they will support his mission of getting the gospel to Spain because... That's one of the focuses of this family is seeing lost people saved, getting the gospel into the ears and then ultimately the hearts of those far from God. Our mission is to make disciples here and everywhere, and we partner together for that. And We can't get distracted from that. It's about reaching others with the gospel of Jesus. I mean, that's the, one of the main things that unites us together, right? Tonight, tonight, you're going to see, if you come, you will see all, you'll see about three generations of people serving their neighbors. About three generations. You'll see grandmothers, mothers, and daughters, right? Grandfathers, fathers, and sons serving their neighbors because we're united on mission. Not because we love Halloween, right? 
because we just want to love on our neighbors because we're hoping for the opportunity to share the gospel with them at some point. So we're willing to take some baby steps if it means at some point we can take a bigger step. We're willing to pass out 10,000 pieces of candy if it means at some point one person comes, hears the gospel, and at some point believes the gospel. We're willing to serve in whatever way we do need to serve. We're willing to, to invite and to engage and to love and to just, man, to just let them come on our campus and make a memory so that hopefully, for some of them, when life falls apart down the road, and they think, you know, I might try church, they'll remember the one that they went to trunk or treat to for 12 years and never actually attended a service. And they'll walk in the door one day. It's about the mission. Even the baby steps are about the mission. Even when it doesn't seem like it's about the mission, it's about the mission. And finally, we are in this, and ultimately... For God's glory. That's what the mission's about. That's what's what it's all about. That's what church unity's about. And every that's what the truth's about. It's all it's about God's glory. Back up in verse six that we read at the beginning, he says, Together what? I want you with one voice to do what? What are we doing with that one voice, that unified voice? To glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look how he ends the section. How he ends the book. Chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Man, it's not secret anymore. Verse 26. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of the faith. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel and the advancing of the gospel so that people come to faith in the gospel. And in verse 27 he says, here's the whole point. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He just erupts in praise as he ends the book of Romans. He erupts in saying, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, we are to be unified in our goal to see God glorified among our neighbors and the nations. With one voice as a unified people, we lay aside all for God's glory. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about God. It's like an old quote I heard one time where somebody came to the pastor and they said, uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't like worship today. And he said, oh, it's okay. We weren't worshiping you. It'll be okay. Right? It's about God and glorifying God. It's not, it's not about me. Paul ends the whole book with this doxology of praise. See, we're in this together to bring glory to God through Jesus as we share Jesus with others, as we become like Jesus in our character and our attitudes, as we obey his word, as we see people trust and follow Jesus, we bring glory to God. And this is the bottom line of the local church. We exist for God. It's his family. It's his body. It's his church. It's his people. We don't gather weekly simply to hang out. But that's all it was. I got other things to do with my life and with my time. How about you? We're in this to bring glory to God. That's why we're created. That's what it's all about. And with a united voice, he says, our purpose is with one voice to glorify God. Bunch of people, different backgrounds, different ages, different races, you name it, all together, one purpose, glorify God. It's like uh, this spring, I took Cannon, our six-year-old, to his first pro baseball game. 
right? And it was the, you know, this is the last season that Atlanta Braves did spring training here. And we're Braves fans, and so we go over to the game, and Cannon, first game and all that kind of stuff, and you walk, and you look around, man, and you see all ages. You see different demographics, races, ages, all this different stuff, income levels, people that are from here, people that are here on vacation, all this kind of stuff. But they're well, two types of people cheering for two different teams, but mostly cheering for that one team, right? United in just that team. No different than if you go to a football game, right? Same thing. People, man, you're high-fiving people that you wouldn't have spoken to on the way in, right? If you've ever been to a sporting event, that's the way it works. You're on your high-fiving somebody, right? They might have would have ticked you off. if you that, that might be the same person you were honking your horn at, right, pulling into the stadium, and now you're in the stadium, and you're like, touchdown, right, or whatever. That's just the way it works. You're unified, right, around one name, whatever it is. Florida Gators, Florida State Seminoles, Braves, whatever your team is, right? Unified around that. And in the local church, the name is Jesus. The purpose is his glory. And so people that have different ages and styles and races and economic demographics, all these sort of stuff can high-five and celebrate and love on one another and hug necks and do all that sort of stuff because it's not about us. It's about him. It's the whole point of the church. And I do believe that a multifaceted church with different preferences and styles and races and ages and all those sort of things that are willing to lay down certain things for the sake of one mission to glorify God really glorifies God, really glorifies God. A multi-generational church, for instance, like North Park, has a unique opportunity to display to this community something incredibly powerful, the power of the gospel. It's an incredible opportunity we have that we have to steward, and we have to steward it well, so let's stay focused. We're in this thing together. You know, let me remind you how Paul started this book in Romans chapter 1. He says in verses 21 and 22, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's where Paul started in the book, and the story he's sharing there is your story and my story. It's our story of rejecting God and replacing God and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for lesser things, for idols, for ourselves and our pleasures and the things that we want to pursue, a lives of not giving thanks and giving the honor to him that we should, selfish, self-centered lives, not set on the glory and honor of God. But then when you get to the end of the book, it's a people made righteous by Christ who have one voice, and with that, they choose to use that one voice to glorify God. That's what it means to come to know Jesus. He resets. He changes your entire life. And you go from being someone who lives for yourself and who does not live to glorify God to being someone and a part of a people who now live for the glory of God because Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God and put you in right relationship with him. 
And so if you've never done that, if you're here this morning and you're still in the same default mode that I was born into and your neighbor was born into, that we were all born into, of replacing God, rejecting God, ignoring God, and you've never been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know this morning, this is what it's all about. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived the sinless life that you can't live and I can't live and died the death on the cross that I deserve to die and you deserve to die, bearing our sin in his body, taking the punishment we deserve, taking literally hell for us so that when he was raised from the dead, now you and I, through repentance from our sin and faith in Jesus Christ, can be reconciled to God. Because he died in our place and rose again. And we can go from being people who live for our own glory to people who are united in one voice and want to glorify God with others. Church family, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's stay focused. We're in this together. We're in this for the truth. We're in this to reach the world with the gospel. And we're in this for God's glory. Let's pray.